All right, welcome back. Episode 25 of the Young Old Heads podcast. Shout out Barry Bonds. I'm one of your hosts, Tommy, aka TV Sports Cards, and I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, my co-host Max, aka Cards Max, aka Cards Max Update Edition. Max, how you doing, dude? I'm doing good. Shout out Barry Bonds by Kanye West and great song on graduation. Slept on song, for sure. Slept on. Max update edition, tops update releases in three days. Yep. That's coming soon. That's not two days. That's not four days away. Three days. And I am unenthused. Yeah. I'm intrigued. I am being a little bit more positive. I've sent more of my higher end stuff for consignment just out of way of recouping funds, inadvertently consolidating. Baseball is over. Or it's essentially over since the Yankees are down three to zero with game four being played today. And that's a bummer. And my Facebook status is questioning. I'm questioning cards. I dig <laughs> the answers. Well, I, I'm feeling not the same as you. So we will get to that. But I want to first do a quick clarification on the rant that I did last week. Eric Whiteback does not work for Golden anymore. I still think a lot of the points I brought up about the conflict of interest between auction houses and breakers. I think there's a lot of valid points that I made there. I think there's a lot of valid criticism of the way that Eric Whiteback presents information when he is doing his tweets about cards that are often framed in the way to go viral instead of actually educating people. I think there's a lot of problematic things with that, but he says he'll come on the podcast to discuss so hopefully he follows up. We have reached out multiple times now and he has not replied after saying on the timeline publicly that he would come on the podcast. So hopefully he comes, he, re- he reaches out this week or at least replies to our messages. And if he comes on, we'll have a great discussion about all the things that I talked about, minus the fact that he does not work at Golden. So I just want to clarify that for everyone who listened to last week's episode. But we do have a very, even aside from Eric White back, with all due respect to Eric Whiteback, we have a really good best guest next week. Yes, I, I think let, let's just leave it as a mystery, though. We have a really good guest next week. We're yeah. excited about well, it. And I want to give the hype to that guest because it is a good guest. Yep. Who will also be on next week is Cards Max and Tommy Vaughn, TV Sports Cards. That's Every why the people, the people come here for us, Max. So we're going to give them our content. To give the punch. And... You've been buying some unique cards lately, Max. Or cards is even controversial. Even calling them cards is controversial. Do you want to tell the people what these cards are or things are that you've been buying? Some people say memorabilia. Some people say fake one of ones. I say printing plates. One of one printing plates. In my hand right now, a 2003 Fleer Focus Scion LeBron James. 2003 is his rookie year and a 2012 Mike Trout 446 series two printing plate black printing plate not just a regular printing plate black printing plate also rookie year but not a rookie card LeBron being a rookie card I try to dabble I try to find good deals I picked both of these up one in an eBay auction that I won which I was like oh this is not often that I see a unencapsulated LeBron James printing plate, let alone a rookie printing plate up for auction. Max, if you don't have headphones in, just don't move around the cards too much. I can hear the feedback on that. Thank you, Mr. Producer. Yes. And 
going back before I got that little little interruption. I'm sorry. It's apology not accepted. I got the <laughs> LeBron James blue printing plate. I think it's blue. The blue and yellow mix up and conflate with each other. Got that two weeks ago. I got the Mike Trout in a private Twitter deal. Last the week before that, something like that. Dates kind of conflate. All I can say is that these are two cool cards. Interesting thing that came to mind was that I it's I mean it's a public sale. I bought the LeBron James for about four hundred to five hundred dollars, somewhere in that range. But the yellow printing plate from his 2020 Prism, which is the Kobe Tribute Dunk, or maybe it's not 2020. I believe it's 2020. It's definitely the Kobe Tribute Dunk Prism. Yellow printing plate did fifteen hundred dollars at auction. So I figured, okay, even if it's a lesser brand, getting and I didn't think about this at the time. I saw this after the fact. Getting a rookie printing plate for a third of the price of the Kobe Tribute Dunk really shows where all the hype is, where all the attention is, and Pennywise, dollar foolish. And you, you, uh, I don't know if you saw this morning, but the LeBron Triple Logo Man printing plate sold for 5400 at auction last night. So in terms of the grand scheme of things, I don't know if anyone's seen the LeBron Triple Logo Man printing plate but that is an underwhelming printing plate in my opinion i think that there's a lot of things going on with printing plates we will discuss all of them but the number one thing for me is that when it's a printing plate of a memorabilia card such as the logo man or like an autograph i have a clay thompson national treasures 2012 printing plate with Dion waiters that's like a dual auto rookie card but it's the printing plate without the autos that's a pretty underwhelming printing plate i think that the Kobe tribute dunk prison LeBron printing plate in the grand scheme of things, much cooler than a memorabilia printing plate. So adding in the fact that the one that you bought is a rookie card printing plate um, adds to it. I think you've also, I think we touched on it before when you bought, what was the other LeBron printing plate that you bought like a few months ago? It was a 2004 Bowman LeBron printing plate second year. What, what ended up happening with that sale? Do you want to give the people a little bit? Yeah, sure. I found it listed on eBay. I immediately threw an offer for $400. It was accepted. I held it in my alt vault for a few months. I enjoyed it. I dubbed it the Cards Max Vault. And then I needed funds. So just for the heck of it, I listed it at a thousand to buy it now, at a thousand dollar buy it now. And it was bought within seconds. Or not within seconds, but I think it was within. It was that same day it was bought, and that's, that's pretty sweet. Me. So that that kind of gives the the listeners a little background on why you you have made think, money on printing plates in the past. I think the biggest thing at the time, which made shout that a four hundred dollar for that printing plate was a buy, was that I think PSA ten rookies did of that second year Bowman did like three hundred to four hundred bucks, and that was like, oh well, would I rather get a PSA ten paper or would I rather get the plate that made the card and going over why my thesis my thesis or dissertation on printed plates in the first place tommy you like math okay i i love math give, give, math it, give it to me give it to me okay so lebron james triple logo man how many lebron james triple logo man from 2020 flawless are there are you talking there's one yeah exactly this was one it's a one of one great iconic card, but those plates were only used to make one card. And there's also oh, more, there's four times the amount of printing plates as there were cards made with the printing plates. Oh, exactly. How many 
Juan Soto US 300 2018 tops rookies are there? A uh, hundred thousand. Yeah, like a quadrillion. So when you're owning a printing plate, you are owning what has been the genesis of a very big card. Well, if it's only one card, that's not that very cool. If you, if what I am holding in my hand is, I won't move the card too much this time, is the genesis for every single Mike Trout rookie year or second year card that is every paper card, not Chrome card, had that has ever been produced. The genesis of it is in my hand, and it's a card that's relatively coveted, arguably iconic. I a that lot of people, card is, dude. That card is not iconic. I'm sorry. That card dude. is. That card is a key trout card. That card is a key trout card and the gateway for many people for trout cards outside of the update rookie card. But my point B, it's also his first Chrome card of that first trout top trouts word salad trouts first tops Chrome card was of that design. A lot of people hate judges two eight seven catching picture. A lot of people hate Mike Trout smiling with Tory Hunter picture. I like those cards. And I think they're more unique because they're not cards that are canned to be of a star player. They are, they do have less production value in them when the players are less heralded. And I think that's more interesting to collect. And if anything is signifying that this wasn't just made because he's a superstar, people will buy it. This is just made because he's on the checklist. But key trout card, the low numbered parallels do a lot of money for that Mike Trout. And I think being able to have the printing plate of it is very cool. And that printing plate made a lot of cards, even for 2012 standards. The LeBron Triple Logo Man printing plate made one card. Yes. And I think there's a few things that what you just said brought to my mind, which is I love this idea that you have that the amount of cards that were made with the printing plate is intrinsic value in the printing plate. And that like the more cards that were made with the printing plate, the better the printing plate is. I love that argument. I think that's great. Um, I think the 2012 Trout is kind of the ugly stepchild of Trout cards. You got the 2011 update, iconic. You got 2013 Gold Cup, which is like a really sick image of him sliding into third. Really dope card that I think a lot of people will resonate with. 2012, the Tory Hunter card is horizontal. 2012 tops in general has a lot of weird images with like multiple guys being on a card for one guy. Um, but, but because it's so ugly and because yeah. it's horizontal. And I think a lot of people tend to lean that way. It's the first card that's in factory sets. It's the first card that has a lot, a lot of parallel. I mean, it doesn't have too many, but it's a cool card. And it's like affordable too. Like, I don't know. It's the same. It's all same it's things that we talked about. Yeah. But I think it's still strange that Trout's third year card has a rookie cup on it. I don't know if that's more or less strange than... Jordan Alvarez and Rafael Devers and Wander Franco having rookie cups on their rookie cards, but it still is a little bit unsettling. Not not as weird as Randy Rosarina having it on his third year or Mount Castle back to back year gold cup, which I thought was a little weird. Mount Castle was a back to back gold cupper. Yeah, he had the rookie card with the gold cup, and then he had this year's gold cup. I am being educated. Was he at two different positions? I don't know. I don't. I, I all I know is he's on it twice. I mean, I I know you have your PhD in this. I'm yeah. not questioning the raw knowledge or the quality control or the research methods or the peer review. I'm just being enlightened. Yeah. Well, I think we've given a lot of positive thoughts to printing plates. What are the reasons not to buy printing plates? What are what are people telling you, Max, when you buy them? What do the haters say? 
I have many haters and I love every one of them. Some people say there's four of them. Some people say they're not real cards. Some people say they're just excess that are thrown into a product solely to artificially inflate the quantity of hits. They just aren't visually appealing to most and they're being shoved down our throats by Panini and Tops to make it acceptable. I think Tops's distribution of it is better in having it as pure one of ones that are seated in most products. Your flagship printing plates are in your flagship tops. You can open a fat pack at your Walgreens and you can get a printing plate. That's cool and dank and wicked. Wait, I pulled yeah. one printing plate in my life. Can I tell you what it is real quick? I don't know if I've told you this one. You have there. told me the story privately. I love the story. And I hate I, how you dealt with it. Yeah, my one, I think I might have said this on the podcast before, but I've only pulled one 101 of all time. It's a 2005 Kelvin Escobar opening day printing plate. And I had no idea what it was. <laughs> it's with my boy, Jeff Westmoreland now. Shout out, Jeff. But uh, that's my one printing plate story. I had no idea what it was, though, at the time, because I was seven. But yeah. my one printing plate was from opening day. Shout out opening day. Best product out there. I've said before, I've pulled, I've pack pulled one one of one. I've hit two one of ones ever. Both of them not printing plates. And I try to get them encapsulated by PSA. Um, one is a Tirzo Ornelas second Bowman black one of one parallel from 2019 tops jumbo jumbo. I was opening a loose pack. I was opening loose packs in my LCS. There were five jumbo packs left. I think the box is eight packs total or something like that. They're like $40 a pop. I wanted to keep ripping until I hit a Chrome autograph. I never hit a Chrome autograph out of it, but I did hit a one of one and my hands were literally shaking. It came out of the pack near mint mint condition and PSA said the same. And then the second one of one non-pack pulled was I was buying Tops TBT throwback Thursday cards for 2001 Bowman. It consisted of Wander Franco, CJ Abrams, and Kirby Puckett. I bought a 10-pack. My first nine packs through, I did not hit a single parallel. I opened the 10th pack, and there's a one of one. Wrong player, not Wander Franco or CJ Abrams, but of Kirby Puckett. White cornered to death, came back in my July special PSA order as a PSA 6. So I will enjoy them. I will cherish them as you can't manufacture more cards max one of one pull. Do you still have that? Do you still have the oh, Puckett one? Both. Yeah, both of them. All right, cool. I have That's both of them. And I will make every effort to keep them as much as possible, which is easier to do when they're not of high monetary value. Yeah. So do, do they do printing plates? Back to printing plates, though. Do they do printing plates for, like, Tops Now stuff and online exclusives or just for pack-pulled products? Do you I know? believe it's just for pack-pulled. Or maybe they do have printing plates and they just dispose of them. Okay. but I, I know think... Panini has a product. It's plates and something. It's a very low-key product. I'm, where not they sure. Put... I'm not sure what that is. But they one have thing, I, I forgot one thing. All the printing plates for all products all in one setting. I get what you're saying. Okay. my I forgot one point that I want to make, though, about printing plates, which is that I think a huge thing that need, like is hard to say with words that impacts a printing plate's price is what percentage of the image shows up on the printing plate. So LeBron triple logo, man, you just have three really small LeBrons at the bottom of this, at the bottom of the plate that are kind of faded, hard to even tell what jersey he's on, like team he's on in each image. Um, I have 
in that National Treasures one that I have with Clay, it's like a very small image of Clay. It's a very small image of Dion Waiters, mo mostly blank space. I'd say 85%, 90% of the printing plate is just a blank thing. Your Trout one, you got most of it is the image with the LeBron. You have most of it is the image is shown on the printing plate. So like what percentage of the total image is like clear on the printing plate itself? It's something that I at least personally would take into effect when I'm buying a printing plate. I have like a few in my collection. Does that track I mean, with you? Uh, that argument hasn't necessarily settled with me, although I think eye appeal is important. Generally speaking, the only real consistent kind of feel that you have with printing plates that is an unwritten rule is that blacks tend to sell for more than the other colors, possibly because of the visibility issues that you were saying. So I know, especially considering on memorabilia printing plates, you don't always have the memorabilia there. You just have the cutout of the memorabilia. But on the converse, on autograph printing plates, you usually also have the autograph on there. They make the athlete sign the printing plate or, or add a sticker autograph to it. Also, just which is interesting. The product I was thinking of is Panini plates and patches, which at least for 2020 football included one autograph, one memorabilia card, and one printing plate for a total of five cards per box. And that's I products like that is how they did distribute Justin Herbert optic printing plates and Anthony Edwards select printing plates. You don't find them in optic and select. You find them in plates and patches. Oh, that makes me hate it. I, I don't know why, but that makes me like think that i mean panini marketing boy yeah panini's whack as we know we the my defense of backyard breaks last week is not mean that i actually was defending anything panini does because panini very likely is doing shady shit and is very likely i mean we know from products like patches and plates that they don't you know they kind of just are trying to make money any way they can the fact that they don't put like optic printing plates in optic I don't know. That that makes me not like them as much. And the fact that I think something that's essential to a top printing plate is the fact that you brought up earlier, which is like you can pull that at out of a Walgreens hanger. You can pull shit like that out of whatever product, whatever tops. And that's because they have odds and put odds on your packs. Put odds on your packs. Put but, odds on to the packs. I think... It's good that printing plates exist. I don't accept that it is just pure marketing. I know it's not the most interesting topic in the world, but they do have their place. There are some hardcore collectors of them. And the common mainstay of hardcore collectors is that imagine, you know, 1952 tops Mickey Mantle. Imagine having the genesis of all 1952 tops Mantles or all 2011 tops update Mike Trout's. Or every single Juan Soto. Or I think I think you know what printing plate I think would be the best one if it existed, which I don't think it does. Is the '89 Griffey upper deck? If that printing plate ever came I would out, Fleer Jordan. Fleer Jordan, yeah. That or maybe, would be sick too. maybe it's just a baseball thing because it is the marketing. No one cares about basketball printing plates, generally speaking. Yeah, but like collectors that are more heavy. I don't know if it's just because it's the collecting philosophy, or I don't know if it's because they've made it pack pullable. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. I, I, if you're if you're listening to this, feel free to reach out to me, and Max, with your thoughts about printing plates this week. We'll throw the, like if you guys have a good thought or like a cool one, we'll repost or talk about it next episode. But Max, there's I one will, other thing I wanted to bring up. 
Okay, I want to close, close the printing plate thing right before we get into that. Okay, that, well, I just want to say one more thing about printing plates in general. Okay, okay. I thought you were going to transition. But I think something that isn't adherent is very obvious when you're talking to you, Max, at least from my perspective, is that you're very into the idea of alternative 101s, where you bought the Platinum Tampa Bay Rays 2020, 2022 Tops printing plate or platinum 101 not printing plate sorry excuse me with wander franco on the image you tend to post that saying that's a wander franco one of one rookie card you love buying these kind of like super super rare off the mainstream cards and i think print this printing plate binge that you've been on is just another example of ways that you find that your number one thing is like you want to buy rare shit Right. And I think that that printing plates are rare and no, that, no one can say they aren't rare. I think that aligns very well. I think at least with the Tampa Bay Rays card, if we look at part of it is just predicting the market. And if anything, putting a hedge on Wanda Franco's stardom, if we there are, I want to say five or so different cards of Shohei Otani in 2018 Tops Update. There's three-game home run streak. There's, I believe, a card with Ichiro and Otani. There's a card with Trout and Otani on the golf cart. There's the rookie debut. There's the update pitching. And then there's the Series 2. Is the Series 2 one also pitching? I don't know. I don't collect Shohei Otani rookie cards. All I know is all of them fetch a ton of money. And I'm not the end collector of them, but I know an end collector exists. So at least with the Wander, I don't personally enjoy it that much, especially considering... Wink, wink, the Bowman vest is the rookie card, not the 10th. But it is a one-of-one one with Wanda Franco on the card of his rookie year. And I think that's a cheaper alternative that if he becomes Shohei, if he becomes Soto, if he becomes a big name like Trout, then that card will theoretically have exponential value. Of course, it's only worth what someone's willing to pay for it. But... There's only one copy of that one of one. Sure, there's lesser parallels as well. And co going aligning with printing plates, both my thought process with the 2004 Bowman, LeBron James, I was mentioned earlier, and the current Mike Trout and LeBron James sort of focus printing plates. I was listening to a podcast with Sasha T and the founder of CardFi, and the whole thesis behind putting an advance on a card, using it as collateral, and then get using that money to advance your business or advance whatever your goals are is that the card doesn't go on a grow on a tree. The card is not something that you want to sell because you may know if you ever, you may never see it again. So I recognize with the Tampa Bay Rays one of one and printing plates that 10 years from now, maybe it's just one of ones in general and super factors are out of my price range. I don't know. I can't get big on a Damian Lillard nebula genesis nebula prism one of one. For $2,000. I don't think that's a unique or cool enough card for me to want to buy. But I do think a printing plate of an iconic, uh, sorry, not iconic, of a second year Mike Trout paper card does have more standing value. Or the one of one from that has Wander Franco on the card from his tops rookie card year, I think that has more value. And that is at least in this realm of three figure ish collectibles rather than four or five figures, that that has the uniqueness and the merit to where you aren't able to find another one and it isn't easily replaceable. This is just another, I think a common theme throughout a lot of episodes that we have, Max, is just because it's rare doesn't mean that it's cool. doesn't mean that it should have a ton of value. But also 
look at the reasons why something is cool and the balance between cool and rare and how those things emerge together to create value is something that I think is just another thing about printing plates and another addition to this kind of thesis that we've been building over the episodes. But enough with printing plates, Max. We've given a lot of time to them. So a uh, couple of things I always want to talk about our week. You didn't really talk about what happened in your week. I, I'll start, though, because I had a good conversation this week with our boy Ryan Cracknell, a.k.a. Trader Cracks, absolute legend of the hobby community who pumps out checklists like nobody's business and is kind of like, in as someone who works kind of in the industry, I have so much respect for the work that he does and like how long he's been grinding and the blogs that he writes are just absolute monsters on online for card education and everything. So being able to talk to him, had a good conversation about like, how to balance working in the hobby and being a collector and when you need to take breaks from doing stuff like that. But also like, it's a good lesson he said to me that I think is worth saying on air is always stay optimistic about cards. Don't get down too hard, but you know, stay critical. And I think that my rant for lack of a defense of it last week is me being critical. And I think being critical is just, is, is an essential thing to being a collector and to holding companies accountable. But the uh, optimism is something that I think people need to be reminded of sometimes because it's easy if you're on Twitter all the time to see people hating and be like, oh, everyone is hating on this product. Well, it's like, maybe it's just like a really loud 5% situation. I think Twitter, we often get into the loud 5% makes it seem like that's the majority, but that's my, that's my week of my one anecdote from the week, Max, of my uh, fun conversation I had. But what did you do this week with cards? Anything, any anecdotes or any stories that you want to tell? Nothing too crazy. I went to Bleaker's trade night on Tuesday. It was fun. I did some trades. Nothing really to write home off about too much. I think in general, at least when it comes to my card fatigue, when I go to a show, I sometimes think, oh, wow, like all the cards here suck. And not in that, oh, they're not worth enough or, oh, I see them all the time, but there's nothing like too unique. I know a card that I bought recently that I think is very cool is that we talked about a little bit was the Ronald Acuna red Sapphire out of five from 2019 tops rookie cup red out of five. And part of it is just the it factor of, I saw that in the showcase and I'm like, Whoa, this thing is cool. I got the price on it. I'm like, okay, this is reasonable and relatively fair relative to the market. I tried to haggle the dealer a little bit and I made sure that, he, he profited on it and I'm going to enjoy it and mess around with it a little bit. But ultimately that's a card where I see and I'm like, whoa, that's cool. That's a card I want. And I'm trying to further quantify and give constraints so that I can better articulate which cards have the it factor and which ones don't. It doesn't necessarily have to be an out of five, but even another card I was bidding on this week was Erling Holland's finest refractor from 2019 tops finest. Biggest thing about that card is that it is, I believe, the only non-acetate, non-online exclusive card of Holland with Red Bull Salzburg, which was before he joined Dortmund and the Bundesliga, when now he is on uh, Manchester City. But that was a, you know, came out during his rookie year, came out one of the only pack pull cards. I think it came out right after the Dortmund announcement that he would be transferred there that he would go there and that he then has a short printed 
card of his yellow jersey in that. But the sticking point of what it is for Holland collectors and soccer collectors, which really care about the first card, the first sticker, the first rookie card, is that that is a Holland and a Salzburg kit. You can't, or I guess you could artificially make ACME cards, but you can't make more Salzburg Holland kits just in a similar way that you kit cards, just in a similar way that you're not going to make more poorly pictured horizontal photo cards of trout with two, three other with two other people in the card and have that be an early career card you can't fake early career stuff that's why maybe i gravitate to remind you your cards but that was another card that granted it's out of 499 it's not relatively rare or maybe it's even unnumbered but okay that card is sticking with where i can understand why collectors want this and I think I'm getting tired of seeing not only the same old, same old Justin Herbert optic hollows, but Justin, Her- Justin Herbert optic hollows at 95% of last sale. From the buying and selling side, that's fatiguing me. From the collecting side, I know I'm talking a lot of time. I'm going to let you get a word in. One little anecdote that got me a little bit was I won a Glaber Torres Orange Sapphire 2019 Rookie Cup from PWCC two or three weeks ago. It is a CSG 10 don't really care about the grade at all because it's an orange sapphire Glaber Torres. Funny enough, I still need an orange sapphire Luis Severino. I hate the Glaber Torres second year picture. I've talked about that before, but a little funny that I acquired that Glaber before I got the Luis Severino. And I was deliberating whether I should crack it and put in a $19 sub, but the reflection I got at the end was that sure, PSE 10s are cool. And if I could spread some pixie dust on it, make it the PSE 10, I would. But Another company so deemed a gem mint, so encapsulated. I don't really plan on selling it. I don't, and on the converse, I don't think many people really want to buy it anyway. It's like, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll save more money in encapsulation for of what the card is actually even worth and what I paid for it. And I'll just keep it in my CSG slab and I'll enjoy it as a low numbered second year Glaber Torres. So that is my love and my hate and my collecting and my buy sell thoughts for the week. No, it is not because you just spent 10 minutes talking about cards with it factories and you didn't even talk about the greatest modern card in an SGC slab that you got back this week. So quick, you got to give a quick minute on that. Sure, I'll give a quick minute on that. I won, I acquired a PSA 6 running out Acuna Jr. Black parallel US 250. I've been saying a lot of numbers and card numbers and out of serial numbers today. I don't know if that just means I'm on my game or if that I'm just very nutso with cards and that I love cards. But out of 67 copies, black flagships go hard. I believe in Ronaldo Cunha Jr. I'll sell it at a quick flip price, but there's not many Ronaldo Cunha buyers right now. I don't know why I keep saying Ronald instead of Ronald. Either way, pronunciation, I cracked it out of its PSA 6 home I tr- thought of selling it raw for a little bit just because I was I was anticipating Beckett having RCR at a local show, and I figured, okay, why am I going to hold myself back from putting it up to the market in the next week or two? But Beckett did not end up having the RCR, so I sent to SGC. I will accept my near mint mint designation on my black for now to Cunha Jr. It looks actually I saw the scans of it. I get it in hand tomorrow. And it looks cool. And even though I'm kind of consolidating-ish, I am. I rearranged my desk this week. And I'm going to put five cards on my desk. Four of them are here. I'm going to put the, my... I'm going to... Tommy, I'm going to find a way to put all the pictures up on this little clip. And it's going to look great so that people don't just think 
I am talking about my collection. It's cool because I like it. No, it my collection's cool and everyone has to like it. I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> but my black Ronald Acuna Jr., my update that I was just talking about, I have a Fernando Tatis Orange Bowman Chrome out of 25. I have blah, 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 whatever. My card desk is cool. I'm consolidating in the fewer cards and I like it. That was an absolute convoluted little bit you did there you didn't even say what grade your acuna got the acuna yeah, got an sgc eight it's an sgc eight scattered thoughts on cards and it comes from raw passion i know and i'm here to stretch your thoughts so I know. your thought here is an sgc eight is cooler than a psa six and a black parallel with the sgc black i think is cool as hell so that's dope but Sometimes. there was an argument that i saw on twitter this week that i want to bring up real quick is that cracking a card that, say, gets a PSA 6 that's a modern card and selling it raw is quote-unquote unethical and shady. You said you considered selling your Acuna raw after cracking it. I want to just quickly hear your thoughts on the ethicalness of cracking a card that got a lower grade and selling it raw when the raw price is higher than the price maybe that the card would have gone in the slab if you kept it in it. Sure. Um, I think with any situation, it's all about how you portray it. I know that after cracking, I described it. As, I described the card. I did not say near mint or better because it wasn't near mint. I described the card as excellent dash near mint because I thought that's what the PSA 6 designation meant. It actually means excellent dash mint. So even excellent dash near mint is not a grade. But whatever, I guess I in theory, marked it worse than what the PSA 6 is. And I made sure to the people that were prospectively buying it, I sent them picks front, back, and all four corners front and back. I described a surface dimple, which is a little hard to see, and the corners. So at the end of the day, no one thought that they were going to get a PSA 10. No one should have thought that they were even going to get a PSA 9. And... I think as long as you are transparent about condition, it's fine. Even I, some people were saying, you know, in the arguments and the theory and the ethics of it back and forth, whether you should get, have to give a car fax on the card or the, the card fax. I don't think it's necessary. And my intention, if I held it, was to always get it reencapsulated because I have had some rough bits on PSA sixes before, especially with black parallels specifically. But I think from an ethical standard, as long as you're being transparent about the condition of what condition you think the card is in, especially when you're saying it is encapsulated as excellent to, excellent mint and you're describing it as excellent near mint, I think that's ethical. Um, just because I was getting some heat on it, all buyers got the knowledge that it was a PSA six before during when they made the offer and that when they made offers and that made some people reconsider whether they want to buy it or not. I don't know if that's unnecessary. I don't know if stating that grade history is necessary. I personally don't think it is because I don't think it's the obligation of the seller to give the full history of the card just because you asked me to it, as long as there's no trimming, altering or anything else of the like. But because I knew I was going to get it encapsulated anyway, I didn't really care too much about giving the card slab history and that if other people see it as unethical, well, I'd rather just trend in the right direction of being ethical and transparent yeah. in that context. Yeah, for sure. And now I it's mean, an SGC. 
And I think just in the general world of card grading being subjective, I think just giving more information is always going to be the answer to like, how can I be as ethical as I can be in selling a card is always going to be send pictures, point out any flaws that you see as clearly as you can. Don't make any promises about a card getting a PSA 10 unless you think it will. But we've seen, we, I mean, you're the poster child for the case of, a, of subjectivity of card grading. You have the iconic S CSG cracked to PSA 3 to what is it now? Uh, SGC 8 SGC now? Nine. Nine. SGC 9. So, CSG 9.5 with the old label. So that would have been an yeah. SCSG 10. Yeah. So we're obviously talking about the Juan Soto Gold that iconically Max cracked and got into a PSA 3. Now it is an SGC 9. So there is a lot of subjectivity with grading as a card seller. It's always better to be transparent. But as you said, you don't necessarily have to tell someone that this card got a PSA 3 when it clearly should not have gotten a PSA 3 because so card grading is subjective but also card buying and card selling is subjective it's all subjective we're all a bunch my, of weird dudes out here my rebuttal to oh you have to say it's a psa 6 now that it's an sgc 8 or whatever now that it's raw is do you care if my psa 10 was previously a psa 9 because it was or i surely don't lose the premium or better yet no one really cares if a psa 10 was a previously psa 9 care that it's a psa 10 now and I certainly don't get to command a premium, or maybe you can say you command a premium, but it never comes to fruition. I never get a premium if my Becca 9.5 comes back a PSA 9, or in my case, a PSA 5. I cracked a Becca 9.5 that came back a PSA 5, and we'll be sending it back to PSA to see what they think of a second opinion. But I don't get a premium on that just because it was a 9.5. So I think as long as you're being ethical about condition to the best of your ability, pointing out flaws when relevant and pointing out condition of what you think the most accurate opinion is, especially when there is the preceding context that PSA does have a history of being very harsh on black tops flagship parallels because of the whiting and because of the eye appeal, they will make a card that you think is an eight to six on black parallel. Yep. And I think that is a coherent thought. So I'm going to cut you off while you have your coherent thought. I'm going to talk about one card I bought this week. I've still been messing around on Compsy which I love, and I bought a card this week. This card cost me, real quick, $34.03, and I love Comp C because of the weird pricing, but $34, and it is a out of 200 Barry Bonds 2001 Playoff Absolute Memorabilia Home Opener Souvenir Card. So this is a card with two pieces of a base from the first game of the 2001 season for Barry Bonds, and this game was at Pac Bell Park, he hit a home run against the Dodgers in the game. So he touched this base while rounding the bases in his first home run in the season that he hit 73 home runs. Sick card, I think. You know, I, I've talked a lot about how I love relics that are very specific to what game they're from and what they're used for. So a base from opening day in 2001 when he broke the home run record and he hit a home run in the game, the first one of the season. I think makes the card pretty cool. So, and it's already serial, serial numbered out of 200, got it for 34 bucks. I think that's a really cool card or cool piece of history to have and be able to have in my collection. So that's my one card I want to talk about because I think in the, when we've been talking a lot about judge and like judges getting a lot of these like unique cards, like tops is making a lot of tops now cards for him breaking the record and everything. And people talking about how much money the ball would go for it, et cetera. Just got me thinking about Barry Bonds 2001 relics. I think I might try to, you know, kind of focus my Barry Bonds collection in some degree to cards that maybe were from that season. 
because that season is so iconic in my opinion. So that's my one cool card of the week that I bought. There is also a, the, the reason why this set and card in general was on my, like in my head is because this guy, Mike, who's a big dealer in the Midwest who goes to a lot of shows has the Albert pools from that set. That's from Albert Pujols' first game he played with a piece of the base from his first game. And he has the serial number that's actually that's Albert Pujols' jersey number, serial number. So that's his really cool card that I saw before. So I knew that the set existed. Didn't really know that Barry Bonds had a card in it. Saw it on Comp C. I bought it. That's my story of the week, Max. Max, do you have anything, any final thoughts for the people? Any parting words of wisdom as we sign off here? Feel like I'm in the metaphorical doghouse with my thoughts. Yeah, your thoughts were way too scattered today, so I'm gonna I'm putting you in the doghouse. Okay, make sure to throw me a bone at least. Um, coolest card that I bought this week, and I'm gonna stick to one so that I can stay focused and not distribute my attention to multiple cards at once. Is I bought a gold pulsar out of ten bones Highland from Optic. I was not bidding too aggressive on it. I bought a Cole Anthony gold pulsar from Hofstra two weeks ago. So I figured another gold pulsar rookie card would be fun. Uh, It is being shipped from China. So I should get it in a few weeks. But that was a cool card that I bought that I think is cool. It's not a true gold. They have the gold disco fast break as well as the gold pulsar. But it is still a gold out of 10 of a second-year player that I am optimistic about, even though he has not had a blazing hot start to the season. So that is my card of the week. I can't wait to start talking about you buying basketball cards again because it's always interesting to me what you think is a good deal in the basketball market, and I'm here to be your sounding board. And Max, great episode, as always. I'm glad we got to clear things, some things up. We got to talk about your printing plates that you've been jonesing about and – Next week's going to be fun. We're going to have a fun guest on, talk collecting, get a little bit out of the kind of resale guests that we've maybe had a little bit of. So it's going to be a hardcore collector's episode next week. And then hopefully Eric Whiteback responds to us. So he did say he'll be on the podcast, publicly said he will come on the podcast. So he should come on, hopefully. Could be cool. Max, thanks again for always having a fun Talk about cards, dude. I don't know what I would do without this podcast, dude. To get our get our uh, get all our thoughts off our chest. So until next week, make sure to follow uh, at Young Old Heads Podcast on Instagram at Young underscore Old Heads on Twitter. Um, shout out Old Man Twenty Eight Guy on Twitter for doing a giveaway and promoting us. We really appreciate that. If you, I think that giveaway ends today. We're recording Sunday, October twenty third. So. It's probably not going to get out before the giveaway is over, but just want to give a special thank you to him for doing that, you know, promoting the podcast totally from with like giving away cards of his own that are worth decent money is like, we really appreciate that. And, you know, any new eyeballs we're getting on the podcast is always going to be appreciative of. So thanks to Andrew for that. Um, and we'll see you guys next week. Crack eggs, make omelets. <laughs>